I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, what's new with me? Uh, eh, eh. Furlough. I just spent a week during furlough. And I tore out part of my deck and I found a giant crack. I think I already talked about this in the last episode. I've got nothing to talk about. Since then, I've just been doing junk around the house. Uh, I bought a new washing machine and it's also a dryer. But I don't have the plug in the wall to plug it in. So, I've been wearing the same clothes, especially the same underwear, for the last four days. And I kept, out of pride, I'm not going to go to my sister's house. I'm not going to go to my sister's house. I'm not going to ask her to do my laundry. I'm going to just tough this out because I'm a man. So, I tried to install the the plug in the wall myself. I don't know how to do these things uh, in the past, but ever since owning this home, I've had to learn how to fix my own stuff. So, I got it. I put it all in there. I got the wires in there because the wires already existed for this thing. And it was a ha I did it. I'm a man. And I plugged the, I turned the power back on. I plugged the washing machine in and tried to turn it on. And nothing happened. And it turns out that the cords are dead. The wires. So I have to wait even longer to try and get an electrician to come out and fix that crap. Which is annoying as hell, because I was so proud of myself. I'm such a man. Look at me wiring my own stuff. I went to the hardware store, and I got the things I needed, and then I went back home, and I did all the stuff, and I got on YouTube once to figure out what I'm doing, and I, but the point is, I did it myself. Then to have the wires be dead to begin with was kind of defeating. So, eh, I did give in. I spent the afternoon at my sister's, and uh, it was nice. She washed my clothes. She... Without me noticing it, because I was watching TV, she even folded them. And I hung out with my brother-in-law, who's a nice man. And I hung out with my niece. Uh, and she, uh, she were talking, and she was talking about a podcast she does. Uh, it's all about Harry Potter. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before. It's a very good podcast uh, called Moaning Myrtle's Podcast, or Moaning Myrtle's Bathroom Podcast. I'll put it in the show notes. And so, uh, but it's tough because her and her friend know everything about Harry Potter. All the small details, all the minor characters, all the weird little inconsistencies and whatever else. And they talk about it chapter by chapter. And it's all interesting and good. And they, uh, and I actually enjoyed listening to it. But now since J.K. Rowling has turned into kind of a jerk, it's tough for them to continue the podcast. So now they're going to try and go in a new direction. And so she's got some technical issues. And I was giving her some tips, because I'm a master podcaster now. Except that I can't be in my own podcast studio because of all the flies. I sealed up the gap, but there's flies still. I'm hoping it's the last generation of them. I don't know. We'll find out. But anyways, so uh, she says, we should do a podcast. And I said, ooh, yeah, we should. What should it be about? Now we couldn't think of anything off the top of our heads, but uh, we both are busy people. I've got my work, 
and uh, the podcast I do with Ben that involves a lot of reading beforehand. And, uh, and then I also do this one. And I'm kind of a busy boy, so I say it's going to have to be a low, a low effort one where we don't put a lot of work into it because I don't have much time. And she said, sure. So we're noodling that, and uh, we'll see what happens. So that's kind of exciting. I guess that's kind of a one upside of this. Uh, bonding with family. But I still don't have a washing machine that works. Well, anyways, let's dive into the story. I think I'm going to go for another two chapters this time. Chapters 11 and chapters 12. Well, unfortunately, we're starting to get to... We're at the last... Uh, whatthefact.com fact about uh, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, also known as Mark Twain. So I gotta find another website. But, interesting fun fact about Samuel Langhorn Clemens traveling through debt. Another interesting fact about Mark Twain is that he traveled the whole world almost with accrued debt as a hired lecturer. The what? almost with accrued debt as a hired lecturer. There were more than a hundred engagements, which he later published in the following equator. (laughs) So that made almost no sense. So why don't we offset that with ten interesting facts about Plato? Uh... Uh... Reason of Dialogues. He started writing dialogues because he thought he will be able to understand the individual subject. (laughs) I love this website. Uh, Let's read another one about Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, Memorizing Gita. In order to improve his concentration and pronunciation, Mahatma Gandhi decided to memorize complete verses of Bhagavad Gita. During his imprisonment days. Well, that wasn't so. Oh, there's another one. Travel along with the goat. (laughs) Gandhi used to travel along with his own goat so that he could have fresh milk always. Though he strictly followed vegetarianism, most of the freedom struggle days he would go fasting. Well, that was a little weird. Let's get into the story. Chapter 11. Close upon the hour of noon, the whole village was suddenly electrified with the ghastly news. No need as of yet undreamed of telegraph. The tale flew from man to man, from group to group, from house to house, with little less than telegraphic speed. Oh, of course, the schoolmaster gave Holly Dash Day for that afternoon. The town would not have thought strangely of him if he had not. A gory knife had been found close to the murdered man. It had been recognized by uh, somebody as belonging to Muff Potter, so the story ran, and it was said that a belated citizen had come upon Potter washing himself in the branch, in quotes, about one or two o'clock in the morning, and that Potter had at once sneaked off suspicious circumstances, especially the washing, which is not a habit with Potter. It was also said that the town had been ransacked for this, quote, murderer, The public are not slow in the matter of sifting evidence and arriving at a verdict, but that he could not be found. Horsemen had departed down all roads in every direction, 
And the sheriff, quote, was confident, unquote, that he would be captured before night. All the town was drifting toward the graveyard. Tom's heartbreak vanished, and he joined the procession. Not because he uh, would not a thousand times rather go anywhere else, but because an awful, unaccountable fascination drew him on. Arrived at the dreadful place, he wormed his small body through the crowd and saw the dismal spectacle. It seemed to him, uh, an age since uh, there before, somebody pinched his arm. He turned and met Huckleberries. Then both looked elsewhere at once. Oh, and wondered if anybody had noticed anything in their mutual glance. But everybody was talking. Ah, and intent upon the grisly spectacle before them. Poor fellow, in quotes. Ah, poor young fellow, in more quotes. Uh, this ought to be a lesson uh, to grave robbers. Muff Potter will hang for this if they catch him. This was the drift of remark. And the minister said it was a judgment. His hand is here. Now Tom shivered from head to heel, and for his eye fell upon the stolid face of Finch and Joe, at that moment the crowd began to sway and struggle. The voices shouted, It's him! It's him! He's coming himself! Who? Uh, who? From twenty voices. Muff Potter! Hello! He's stopped. That's H-A-L-L-O. Look out! He's turning! Don't let him get away! People in the branches of the trees over Tom's head uh, said he wasn't trying to get away, but only looked doubtful and perplexed. Oh, infernal impudence, said a bystander. Wanted to come and take a quiet look at his work, I reckon. Didn't expect any company. The crowd eh, fell apart now, and Sheriff came through, ostentatiously leaning Potter by the arm. The poor fellow's face was haggard, and his eyes showed the fear that was upon him. When he stood before the murdered man, he shook as with a palsy and put his face in the hands and burst into tears. I didn't do it, friends, he sobbed. Upon my word of honor, I never done it. Uh, who accused you? shouted a voice. The shot kid seemed to carry home. Potter lifted his face and looked around him with a pathetic hopelessness in his eyes. He saw Engine Joe and exclaimed, Oh, Engine Joe, you promised me you'd never... Is that your knife? And it was thrust before him by the sheriff. Potter would have fallen if they had not caught him and eased him to the ground. Then he said, uh, Something told me, uh, T, that's an apostrophe T, something told me, T, if I hadn't come back and get, he shuddered and then waved his nerveless hand with a vanquished gesture and said, Tell him, Joe, t uh, tell him, tell him it ain't any use anymore. Then Huckleberry and Tom stood dumb and staring, and heard the stony-hearted liar reel off his serene statement, expecting every moment that the clear sky would deliver God's lightnings upon his head, and wanting to see how long the stroke was delayed. And when he had finished, he stood still alive and, and whole. Their wavering impulse to break their oath and save the poor betrayed prisoner's life faded ah, and vanished away, for plainly the miscreant had uh, sold himself to Satan, and it would be a fatal to meddle with the property of such powers that, uh, why didn't you leave? Uh, what'd you uh, come here for? Somebody said. Yeah, I couldn't help it. I, I couldn't help it, Potter moaned. I wanted to run away, uh, but I couldn't seem to come anywhere but here. And he fell to sobbing again. Injun Joe repeated his statement just as calmly a few minutes afterwards on the inquest. Uh, under oath, the boys, seeing that the lightnings were still withheld, were confirmed in their belief that Joe had sold himself to the devil. 
He was now become to them the most balefully interesting object they had ever looked upon, and they could not take their fascinated eyes from his face. Ah, they inwardly resolved to watch him nights an opportunity should offer in the hope of getting a, a glimpse of his dread master. Injun Joe helped to raise the body of the murdered man and put it in a wagon for removal. And it was whispered through the shuddering crowd that the wound bled a little. The boys thought that this hacky, happy circumstance uh, would turn suspicion in the right direction. Yeah, but they were disappointed, for more than one villager remarked, It was within three feet of Muff Potter when it done it. Tom's fearful secret and gnawing conscience disturbed his sleep for as much as a week after this, and at breakfast one morning Sid said, hey, Tom, hey, you pitch around talking to sleep so much uh, you keep me awake half the time. Tom blanched and dropped his eyes. Uh, it's a bad sign, said Aunt Polly gravely. Hey, what, do you, what do you got in your mind, Tom? Nothing. Uh, nothing I know of. But the boy's hand shook so that he spilled his coffee. He drinks coffee? And you do talk such stuff, Sid said. Last night you said, it's blood. Ah, uh, it's blood. That's what it is. You said that over and over. And you said, don't torment me so. I'll tell. Tell what? What is it you'll tell? Everything was swimming before Tom. There's no telling what might have happened now. But luckily the concern passed out upon Polly's face, and she became to Tom's relief without knowing it. She said, Ah, uh, show, it's a dreadful murder. I dream about it most every night myself. Sometimes uh, uh, I dream it's me that done it. <laughs> Mary said that she had been affected such the same way. Sid seemed satisfied. Tom got out of the presence as quick as the plausible could, and after that he complained of a toothache uh, for a week and try, tied up his jaws every night. He never knew what Sid, that Sid lay nightly watching and frequently slipped the bandage free and then leaned on his elbow, listening a good while at a time, and afterwards slipped the bandage back to his place again. Tom's distress of mind... Well, it wore off gradually, and the toothache grew irksome, and he was discarded. If Sid really managed to make anything out of Tom's uh, disjointed mutterings, uh, well, he kept it to himself. It seemed to Tom that his schoolmates would never get done holding inquests on the dead cats, and thus keeping his trouble present uh, uh, to his mind. Sid noticed that Tom never was coroner at one of these inquiries, Though it had been his habit to take the lead in all new enterprises, he noticed, too, uh, that Tom never acted as a witness, and it was strange. And Sid did not overlook the fact that Tom even showed a marked aversion to these inquests and always avoided them when he could. Sid marveled, but said nothing. However, when even the inquests went out of vogue at last and ceased to torch Tom's uh, conscience, every day or two, during this time of sorrow, Tom watched this opportunity and... Uh, went to the little graveyard, whoops, sorry, the little gated jail window, and smuggled such small comforts through to the murderer, in quotes, as he could get a hold of. The jail was a trifling little brick den that stood in a marsh at the edge of the village. Oh, and no guards were afforded for it. Indeed, it was seldom occupied. These offerings greatly helped to ease Tom's conscience. Villagers had a strong desire to tar and feather Injun Joe, and ride him on a rail for body snatching. But so formidable was his character that nobody could be found who was willing to uh, eh, take the lead in the matter, so it was dropped. Be uh, had been careful to begin both of his inquest statements uh, with a fight, 
without confessing the grave robbery that preceded it, therefore it was deemed wisest not to try the case in the courts at present. Chapter 12 One of the reasons why Tom's mind had drifted away from its secret troubles was that it had found a new and uh, weighty matter to interest itself about. Oh, Becky Thatcher had stopped coming to school. Tom had struggled with his pride a few days and tried to whistle her down the wind, but uh, <laughs> failed. He began to find himself hanging around her father's house nights and feeling very miserable. She was ill. Uh, what if she would die? That was a distraction and a thought. No longer took an interest in war, not even piracy. The charm of life was gone and there was nothing but dreariness left. He put his hoop away uh, and his bat. There's no joy in them anymore. His aunt was concerned. She began to try all manner of remedies on him. She was uh, one of those people who were infatuated with patent patent (laughs) medicines. I don't know why I couldn't say that. And all newfangled methods of producing health or mending it. She was a inveterate experimenter in these things. When something fresh in this line came out, she was in a fever. Oh, right away to try it. Not on herself. Oh, she was never ailing, but on everybody else that came handy. She was a subscriber for all the, quote, health periodicals and phrenological frauds and the solemn ignorance that they were inflated with was breath to her nostrils. All the rot they contained about ventilation. Oh, and how to, how to go to bed and how to get up. Oh, and what to eat. Oh, and what to drink and how much exercise to take. Uh, what frame of mind uh, to keep oneself in and what sort of clothing to wear it was all gospel to her. And she never observed that her health journals of the current month customarily upset everything they had recommended the month before. She was as simple-hearted and honest as the day was long, and so she was an easy victim. She gathered together her quack periodicals and her quack medicines, and thus armed with death, went about on her pale horse, metaphorically speaking, with hell following after But she never suspected uh, that she was not an angel of healing and the balm of Gilead in disguise. To the suffering neighbors. The water treatment that was new now and Tom's low condition was a windfall to her. She had him out at daylight every morning, stood him up in the woodshed and drowned him with a deluge of cold water. Uh, Then scrubbed him down with a towel, uh, like a a file, and so brought uh, him to... And then she rolled him up in a wet sheet and put him away under blankets till uh, she sweated his soul clean. And the yellow stains of it came through his pores, as Tom said. And notwithstanding all this, uh, the boy grew more and more melancholy and pale and dejected. She added hot baths, sits baths, shower baths, uh, and plunges. Uh, The boy remained as dismal as a hearse. She began to assist the water with a slim oatmeal diet and blister plasters. She calculated his capacity as she would a jugs and filled him up every day with quack cure-alls. Tom had become indifferent to uh, persecution by this time. The face filled the old lady's heart with consternation. This indifference must have broken up at any cost. Now, uh, she heard of painkiller for the first time. Oh, she ordered a lot at once. She tasted it and was filled with gratitude. It was simply fire in a liquid form. She dropped the water treatment and everything else 
and pinned her faith to painkiller. What did they mean, like aspirin? She gave Tom a teaspoonful and watched with the deepest anxiety for the result. Her troubles were instantly at rest, her soul at peace again, for the indifference was broken up. Oh, it was like cocaine or something. They used to give a lot of that back then. I used to rub it on baby's teeth to get them to stop crying. The boy could not have shown a wilder, heartier interest. Yeah, it was cocaine. If she had built a fire under him. Oh, Tom felt that it was time to wake up. This sort of life might be romantic. Well, he's got coke logic at that point. Uh, might be romantic enough, his bloody condition, but it was getting to have a little too sentiment and too much distracting variety about it. So he thought over various plans for relief and finally hit upon uh, that of professing to the fond of painkiller. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to be making dinner at three in the morning and waking his mom up and then eat this dinner I made for you. And his aunt ended up by telling him to help himself and uh, quit bothering her. Oh, boy, that's addiction. If it had been Sid, she would have no misgivings to alloy her delight. But since it was Tom, she watched the bottle clandestinely. She found that the medicine really did diminish, but it did not occur to her that the boy was mending the health of a crack in the sitting room floor with it. One day, Tom was in the act of dosing the crack, when his aunt's yellow cat came along, purring, eyeing the teaspoon avariciously and begging for a taste. Tom said, now don't ask for it unless you want it, Peter. Oh, but Peter signified that he did want it. You better make sure. Oh, Peter was sure. Well, now you ask for it, and I'll give it to you because there ain't anything mean about me. But if you find you don't like it, you mustn't blame anybody but your own self. Oh, Peter was agreeable, so Tom pried his mouth open and poured down the painkiller. Peter sprang a couple of yards in the air and then delivered a war whoop and set off round and round the room, banging against furniture, upsetting flower pots, and making general havoc. Next, he rose on his hind feet, oh, and pranced around in a frenzy of enjoyment. Oh, yeah, a coked-up cat. And with his head over his shoulder and a voice proclaiming an unappeasable happiness, he went tearing around the house again, spreading chaos and destruction in his path. Aunt Polly entered in this time to see him throw a few double somersets. Uh, deliver a final mighty hurrah and sail through the open window carrying the rest of the flower pots with him. The old lady stood petrified with astonishment peering over her glasses. Tom lay on the floor expiring with laughter. Hey, Tom, what on earth ails that cat? Oh, I don't know, Aunt, gasped the boy. Why, I never see anything like it. What did make him act so? Indeed, I don't know, Aunt Polly. Cats always act so when they're having a good time. Ha 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 They do, do they? There was something in that tone that made Tom apprehensive. Yes'm, that is, I do believe they do. Do you do? Yes'm. The old lady was bending down, Tom watching with interest emphasized by anxiety. Too late to be divined her drift, the handle of the telltale teaspoon was visible under the bed valance. Aunt Polly took it, held it up, yeah, Tom winced and dropped his eyes. Aunt Polly raised him by the usual handle, his ear, and cracked his head soundly with her thimble. Now, sir, what did you want to treat that poor dumb beast so for? Oh, I'd done it out of pity for him, because he uh, hadn't any aunt. Hadn't any aunt, you numbskull. What has that got to do with it? Heaps. Because if he had one, she'd have burnt him out herself. She'd have roasted his bowels out of him 
without any more feeling than if he was a human. Aunt Polly was a sudden pang of remorse. This was putting the thing in a new light. What it was a cruelty to the cat might be a cruelty to the boy, too. As she began to soften, she felt sorry. Her eyes watered a little, and she put her hand on Tom's head and said gently, I was meeting it for the best, Tom, and Tom, it, it did do you good. Tom looked up in her face, and with just a perceptible twinkle peeping through his gravity, I know you was a meeting for the best, Auntie, and so I was with Peter. I done him good, too. I never seen him oh, get around so since. Oh, go along with you, Tom, before you aggravate me again. And you try and see if you can't be a good boy uh, for once, and you needn't take any more medicine. The time reached the school ahead of time. It was noticed that this strange thing had been occurring every day latterly, and now, as usual of late, he hung about the gate of the schoolyard instead of playing with his comrades. He was sick, he said, and he looked it. He tried to seem to be looking everywhere, but whither he was really looking down the road. Presently, Jeff Thatcher hove in sight. And Tom's face lightened. Ah, he gazed a moment, and then turned sorrowfully away when Jeff arrived. Uh, Tom accosted him and, quote, let up warily in the opportunities for remarking about Becky. But the giddy lad never could see the bait. Tom watched and watched, hoping whenever a frisking frock uh, came in sight, and hating the owner of it as soon as he saw he was not the right one. At last, frock ceased to appear, and he dropped hopelessly into the dumps. He entered the empty schoolhouse and sat down to suffer. Then one more frock passed in at the gate, and Tom's heart gave a great bound. Oh, the next instant he was out and going on, like an Indian. Oh, God. Yelling, laughing, chasing boys, jumping over the fence at the risk of life and limb, throwing handsprings on, standing on his head, doing all the heroic things he could conceive of, and keeping a furtive eye out all the while to see if Becky Thatcher was noticing. But... She seemed to be unconscious of it all. She never looked. Could it be possible that she was not aware that he was there? He carried his exploits to her immediate vicinity and came war-whooping around, snatching a boy's cap, hurled it to the roof of the schoolhouse, broke through the group of boys tumbling in every direction, and fell sprawling himself uh, under Becky's nose, almost upsetting her. And she turned with her nose in the air and heard her say, Muff! Some people think they're mighty smart, always showing off. Oh, Tom's cheeks burned. He gathered himself up and sneaked off, crushed and crestfallen. Well, what did we learn here today? We learned that uh, you witness a murderer lie and nothing happens to him. That's a kind of injustice that we all experience in life. I always see it in work where people who really suck at their jobs seem to keep failing upwards. And you wait for karma or whatever you want to believe in to kick in and do something about those assholes. But nothing ever happens. And then the best you can do when you are guilty of knowing the truth and too scared to say anything is you hand food to the man in the jail through his bar windows or whatever. And that's the best you can do. And you wander around feeling guilty for a while, beating yourself up. And these are the things you should do if you have a conscience. But like I saw in a ugh, gross Woody Allen movie back in the 90s, 
when I was in my early 20s. It was on cable. I don't know. I watched it. There was a man that murdered his wife. And uh, a friend found out the truth and said, well, how, do you, how can you walk around being all normal after you've murdered your wife? And the man said, well, at first you, you feel horrible and you, you, you sulk and you feel miserable and you, but you're too scared to do the right thing and turn yourself in. Then he said, one day you wake up and you see that the sun is shining and the birds are singing and you give yourself a little reprieve to go out and just enjoy the day just once. And then you walk around and after a while you spend the next day doing that. Next thing you know, your life is back to normal again. Well, that's what Tom Sawyer's doing. He, uh, he's avoided the kids in the schoolyard. They're trying to do autopsies on cats and have a, a criminal trial over it and everything. And all these things, but eventually one day the girl he loves comes back and he decides that he's going to hulk out, do somersaults, and whatever else, and try and impress her. And, and she rejects him, but that only just it excites him. Gets him real, real worked into a lather. So he's moved on. And I imagine this will play out because uh, so far Mark Twain is a good writer. Unlike the book I've been reading with Ben, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight, where nothing leads to anything... I imagine this will lead to something, and Tom will have a reckoning, even though he's given himself an escape. How does that tie in with me? Maybe since I've been beating myself up that I don't have a working washer and dryer, that uh, one day I'll walk outside, and with the flies in my basement, and all the success I was expecting to have this week that I did not have. Uh, maybe I'll walk out one day, and the birds will be singing, and the sun will be shining, and I'll give myself a reprieve from all the frustration and anger I feel over how unsuccessful I am at homeownership. And then I'll go out and probably hit on people at the mall. Maybe that's my theme. If you're ever feeling down, go hit on people at the mall. Uh, you know, once, uh, I mean, if, it's, if it makes sense in your area with the pandemic. Well, with that, thanks for listening. And uh, I will see you again later this week.